Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so let's let's turn to Genesis 31. Um, and just to kind of recap, catch everybody up, we are, um, so last week, uh, Jacob's flocks increased. He made a deal with Laban. He would take the spotted and the speckled, and Laban would take the the white lambs or, or the dark goats, which is the norm. And so, um, but J- God has blessed Jacob and Jacob, Jacob's flocks have increased um, while Laban's have not. Um, and so we're going to follow up from there in Genesis 31, verse 1. It says, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belong, belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. If you remember when we first met Rachel, who is the wife of Jacob, she was the family shepherdess, which was not the norm. She was was a female shepherd, which we did not see. Um, And he had sons, but apparently they were too young to take it over. But now we see that these young men have grown up into men, and they're old enough to complain. They're watching now, all of a sudden, see, they're watching their inheritance be transferred to Jacob. They're watching this other guy, and he's, his flocks are increasing, and theirs are not. And there's, a bun- and there's more than one son, which means what? They'll have to like maybe split it, right? So they're not very happy about it. They're watching all their inheritance and their wealth transfer to their sisters and their brother-in-law. And I wouldn't describe this as a close family already, um, but even the closest families can be torn apart by inheritance. I don't know if anyone has had someone die in their family and it becomes a matter of inheritance. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I didn't know you were so evil till this day. You know, not me, but, and I, know, I have four sisters and we already, already know which sister is going to do that. You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I was going to say a name, and I was like, that might not be funny. That might be sharp, but I was, I'm just kidding. Uh, but this is what's happening here. There's several brothers, and they're just like, and, and when there's more than one, right? If there's just one, he can complain to himself, but you got several brothers, so we can be like, let's talk about this. Let's grumble and complain about this. And we can see that Laban also does not regard Jacob with favor, and I'll tell you why, because like their, their flocks are identified by their color. So every time you walk and you see like they come together to get water at the watering uh, at the well and you see Jacob's flocks come in and they're all spotted and speckled and these spotted and speckled just keep coming. And then Laban's flocks come, these little tiny flocks, you know, and Laban can look. And every time everyone looks and sees all these spotted and speckled, it's like it's just like a blight on his on his, um, you know, his name. Right. Everyone's like, look at Jacob and look at how little Laban has become. So now that Jacob his, his sheep are increasing and his goats are in- increasing, then it's actually, Laban was happy to have him there because Jacob was blessing his flock. But now Jacob is only blessing his own flock. Like the blessing of God is only helping out Jacob. So Laban all of a sudden is like, I'm not really seeing a use anymore for Jacob. He's not doing anything for me anymore. And God says to Jacob, it's time to go. It's time to go. Now it says in the Bible, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That means that there's different pieces of us that all have to, we have to give it all to God. We need to build them up. 
We can't have one, but not the other. And I know people who know a lot about God. They went to school. They have theology degrees. They have philosophy degrees. They know so much. They know about the Bible. They know more than me about the Bible, but they don't actually know God. Uh, there was um, someone told me a story once where someone had come to their church and he was, he had got a theology degree from Harvard and he was trying to be their youth pastor. And, um, and uh, they asked him about his relationship with God. And he's like, oh, I don't believe it. And they're like, he's like, but I got a degree in it. I can teach the kids. I can teach them that. It's like, yeah, but you can't teach them to know God and love God, right? We can study the word. We can get facts, locations, dates, maps. But the reason we study is to know God. It's not even to defend the faith. That's a nice little, it's nice to defend the faith, but that's not why we study the Bible. It's to know God more. And when God says go, we can't stay. Because sometimes, and I'm saying it's good to study the word. We need to build up our minds. We need to, we need to do that. But sometimes minds can get in, get in the way. We say, oh, God said go. Well, let's stop and think about this. Let's stop and let's think about this. What are my reasons for staying? What are my reasons for going? Let's make a little pro and con list. Because we can rationalize staying. We can easily rationalize staying. We can come up for good, good, even godly reasons for staying in a place that God has sent us from, that God has said go. We can be like, well, God, let's stop and think about this for a second. I don't know if you've thought this through, God, but let's look at this, right? There are, first of all, there's a lot of people in Laban's camp I like. I like Timmy. I like Sarah. You know, Rachel and Sarah have grown up together. They're good friends. What will Rachel do without Sarah? We've been there for so long. It's all we know, really. It's all we know. It's all our family knows. Our children. This is what they were raised in. Maybe we could try and we could try to stay and try to change Laban so that Laban knows God, right? Let's think about it. Do unto others. If I were Laban, would I want me to leave? No. Right? I mean, you can, you can just sit there and rationalize saying, and sometimes our mind can get in the way of what the Spirit is saying to us. It can get in the way of what the Spirit is saying to us. Before, even God, before God even said, it's time to leave, Jacob sensed, hmm, things are not the same. I can see something has changed. Something is changing. Maybe it's time to go. He could feel in his spirit that something was wrong, that something was off. And so Jacob obeys God and prepares to leave. And we're going to pick up in verse 4. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flocks were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I said, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. So as much as people 
I just want to point out, right, because a lot of people are like, oh, the Bible is just full of male chauvinists. But let's look at this. When Jacob is making this decision that, that will affect his entire family, what's the, and God says, you, you need to do this, you need to go. What's the first thing Jacob does? He talks to his wives. You got to talk to all your wives. No, um, he talks to his wife. And you can, you can see in this conversation that they feel like they've been sold off by their father, which they have. The way that that whole deal transpired was not how, like the standard of the day. And they feel like they're, they're property to him. They've seen a difference in how they've begun treating them too. And so he, when he goes to his wife and says, this is what I think we should do. What do you think we should do? And he seeks their counsel. And they say, you have our blessing. We don't like him either. He, he's not been treating us well. Look at what he's done to us. And as God continues to bless Jacob, I'm sure Laban, because Laban's all about himself. He's all about the money. I'm sure that he's treating his daughters bad because I'm sure he sees his daughters as like, well, they've gone over to the other side. They're on his side now. They're not on my side, right? And, and so even though he put them there, he put them on that side, right? So like by the way he treated them. So Rachel and Leah are all for leaving and they give Jacob their blessing. We also discover in this conversation that Laban has changed the deal several times concerning what Jacob is to get. Because remember, he was supposed to get all the spotted or streaked and what happened, and he was supposed to get all the ones from right when he said, I'm gonna take all the spotted and streaked. He was gonna go take all the spotted and streaked from Laban's camp, but Laban took them and hid, hid them. So he had nothing to start. So from then on, every lamb or goat born that was spotted or streaked, he would get. That was the deal. But it looks like Laban kept pulling a, I don't know why. Um, no, I don't think I don't think it was spotted and streaked. We made a deal for just spotted. If you read the text, it says he changed it. I don't, we just made a deal for spotted. And so what would happen was then then God would bless the spotted. They'd have a bunch of spotted, and then Laban would be like, you know what? You know what? Now that I think about it, you're right. You were right. It was streaked, wasn't it? It was streaked. You do the streaked, okay? Uh, and, and you can see he says he did it ten times. So you see Laban just going back and forth, trying to like just doing whatever he wants. And it's not like Jacob has any like bargaining power, right? He's surrounded by enemies. He's in a foreign land. Everyone around is Jacob's family from his clan, from his tribe. What's Jacob's going to say? No, that wasn't the deal. And if you lie, I'm going to take it by force, right? Jacob's just like in this situation. He's like, okay, whatever. And God blessed him anyway. God blessed him in the very thing that Laban was trying to curse him in. Right? Whatever Laban would say, oh no, I think it was this. God would bless that. And so, and Jacob was still blessed. And that had to make Laban so mad. Because not only was Jacob having increase, but it continually made Laban look like a fool. Continually made him look like a fool. And you can bet his sons were whispering in his ear, you're like, Dad, everybody's talking, Dad. Everybody's saying, you're an idiot. Everyone's saying you're an idiot. Dad, I don't want to say it. But you look like an idiot. You know, and you know who's doing this? This Jacob guy. You know, if we go, if we just kill him, we could take all his spot. Didn't actually say that. I'm ad-libbing, but that's what I would say in the day. So, so with Jacob and Rachel and Leah in agreement, they're like, okay, it's time to go. They all agree things have changed. And so we're going to pick up in verse 17. It says, then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated and Paddan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the airman, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had. 
crossed the Euphrates River and headed for the hill country of Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You've done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's household. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched, but could not find the household gods. It seems a little funny. Like, wouldn't it, I think I would have some kind of realization about the gods I, God I served if I was like, hey, you stole my gods. I can't find my gods anywhere. I'm trying to talk to them. The little statues I made by my bed. And you took them. You took my gods. You know, I'd be like, this seems a little foolish. This might seem a little foolish. Why am I praying to these things? It's like a teddy bear by my bed. So Jacob leaves, he leaves without telling Laban. And remember, Laban keeps his flocks three days away from Jacob's. And that's why it takes three days for the message to reach Laban that Jacob had left. And Laban pursues Jacob for seven days. This tells us there's quite a bit of fear in Jacob's camp. Um, they are a group of men, women, and children, and livestock. They are a big, large group with women and children. And, and with livestock, they're a slow-moving group. They're a slow-moving group. It's going to take them a while to get anywhere. And Laban's group is just men on fast animals hunting them down, right? They're hunting them down. So the fact that it took seven days to catch them tells us two things. Tells us once, one thing, Jacob's camp was in like a forced march. They were walking as long and as hard as they could every day to get as far away as they could. It shouldn't have taken seven days for Laban to catch them unless they were moving as fast as they possibly could, which tells us a lot about Laban's character. His children and his grandchildren are like, we need to go. We cannot stop. If he catches us, do you know what will happen if he catches us? This tells us that Jacob's camp was moving with quite a bit of fear. And it also tells us a lot more about Laban, that his children and his grandchildren are hustling in a forced march so that he does not catch up. And Laban really, really wants to catch up, that he would chase them for seven days, that he would hunt them down for seven days. He wants, he is bound and determined to catch them. 
And we know that he has evil designs. We know that he has evil designs on them because God has to come to him in a dream and says, do not do anything. The only time God has to come and say, hey, don't do anything is when you're thinking of things. I hadn't even thought of that. I wasn't going to do that. I was going to send them off for the party with timbrels and harps. God, right? But God says, don't say anything good or bad, right? He says, don't threaten him. But also, he doesn't want Laban to try to change Jacob's mind because that's how Laban works. Laban doesn't really, doesn't come like hard and be like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to threaten you. He, he knows Laban is not someone who threatens to get his way. He's a person that like bays his curses in honey and they just come out sounding so sweet. He is a deceiver. He's a liar. All he does is just be like, oh, oh. You can even hear it when he's like, I didn't even kiss my grandchildren goodbye. Sweet little me, right? I mean, I just want to like punch his face, you know? He's just like, ah, oh, oh. is anyone buying this? Is anyone buying this? I would have said that if I was Jacob and Laban's coming, I'm like, everybody close your ears. No one listen to what he is about to say. His words are poison. Okay, that's what I would have said. Um, but when someone is a deceiver like Laban, like they, they're deceived themselves. They're deceived themselves. Laban cannot imagine. He truly cannot imagine for a second that his, he's like, why did you take my daughters? He can't even imagine that his daughters would want to leave. There's, what? What? Why would they want to leave? I've been so good to them. Why did you drive away my daughters, right? I've been nothing but good to them. Why would they leave me? They have no reason to leave me. What have I ever done to them but good? But good, I got both of you a husband. The same guy, but I did it, right? You're welcome, right? And I don't think he's lying. I don't think he thinks he's lying. I think he is so caught up in, in his, his deception and his lies that he believes 100% what he is saying. Even when he says, like, I would have thrown you a party. I would have helped you. I just wanted to see you off in a nice way. And you, you stole that from me. You stole it from me. I wanted to bless you. If only you had been honest with me. If only you had been honest with me. See, you really are the bad guy here, Jacob, not me. He's caught up in his own lies and his own sins. He can't even see the truth. He's trying to paint Jacob as if he's the bad guy. It is, it is, it, it is long past time for Jacob to be free of this net of lies, right? And then Laban levels an accusation at him. Why did you steal my gods? You see, I'm the victim here. The only reason I came after you so quickly with all the weapons I have is because you took my statues. And you know I love my statues. And you took them from me. And Jacob knows he's innocent. He's like, search the camp. Because he doesn't know Rachel has them. And honestly, I always wondered why Rachel took them. I was like, why did Rachel take them? Like, was she still kind of like in her like polytheistic ways? Had she not yet started following God? Like, what's the deal? And there's a, that's a possibility um, I always thought she just wanted to worship them. She couldn't leave them behind. But I've seen several times in several studies that often whoever had the family gods like got the inheritance. That was kind of like if you showed up and you had these cute little statues, they were like, oh, trump card. 
he's got the inheritance. That, that's, that, was your, that was like the will. Whoever owned these things, it was like the blessing transferred to them. So they would get everything that there was. And I think she wanted to show back up, right? Because they really, you can see, they really dislike their family now. She wanted to show back up after Laban died. And they're like, oh, we don't know who gets anything. And she's like, bam, ha ha, I do, suckers. See y'all later, brothers, you know, and just laugh all the way to the bank. Uh, has anyone wanted to do that to somebody, you know? Just steal their household, God shows up, bam, steal all their money. Mm. But I think really she wanted justice to be served. She wanted justice to be served. Because sometimes we, we, don't, like, we know God, we're like, yes, God, I know you're handling it. I know you're handling it. But if you could just let me see it, I just want to see it, right? I, I just want to, or maybe I'll just, just help. I want justice to be served. She feels like she's been so mistreated by her dad. She just wants to see justice served. So she takes him. And Laban, when he comes in and she's like, oh, I can't get up. I'm on my period. Like he can't even imagine for a second that she would sit on them. Like, because these, to them, they're gods. Like, the fact that she's even sitting on them at all is so disrespectful. Like, and he can't even imagine that she would have changed so much that these little, these little statues mean nothing to her and she would sit on them in the time of her period. That's why she's just like, this is blasphemous heresy. There's no way my daughter, my sweet, beautiful daughter, who has worshipped these statues her whole life, would sit on them in the time of her period. And so I think this kind of absolves her a little bit of, of our opinion that maybe she stole them to worship them. I think she wanted justice. I think she, she wasn't treating them with any, any respect in any way. And so Jacob is cleared of any wrongdoing. They can't find the statue, so Jacob is cleared. And so, so he rises up with a little righteous indignation um, now that he's cleared in verse 36. And he said, Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. And you can see him kind of, this seems a little like theatrical. You know, I can see him, I would be theatrical with it. Be like, he's like, what is my crime? How have I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you've searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I've been with your family for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for, for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, and the cold at night. And sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Laban answered Jacob, the women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So they make this covenant and set up some stones there as a marker in between their territories and say, you will not cross over this pile of stones with any intent to do me harm. And I will not cross over this pile of stones toward your camp with any intent to do you harm. And they both go their separate ways. And Laban just goes back home. And, and honestly, even though he wasn't blessed, his, he, he still had increase. 
He still had increase. His flocks have been well taken care of. Jacob still, he said he bore the brunt of the costs when, when something was stolen or, or something was killed in the night. And honestly, I find myself, I kind of want to, I'm kind of like Rachel, you know? I'm just like, Jacob, Jacob, attack! You know, like, Jacob, just like, let him know God's on your side. Don't we want something like, like, I want people to know God is on my side when he smites them in front of me. Not dead, not dead, but just like a little comeuppance, right? I mean, we, we all feel that way, right? Um, he's the epitome of the person we want to die and burn in hell, right? We don't, we don't, but people do. Some Christians, they want that. Right? And this is who they would picture. Someone like this. Someone who has taken advantage of them. Someone who nothing they do is good. Right? And you're just like, God, this is the person. Lord, Lord, oh my goodness. You know what you should do? You should make an example. And I have the idea. This person is a perfect example. There's no good in them, Lord. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. There's no good in them. They will never change. So it's really a win-win for everybody. Because he stops hurting people. And then we don't have to deal with them. Win-win. Right? Who has prayed this prayer at night? I'm just kidding. I hope that you didn't. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But, but yeah, this guy, Laban, this disgusting character, God appears to him in a dream and warns him. God appears to him and warns him. And why does God warn people? God warns people so that they don't continue in what they're doing so that then he takes action against them. And it's like, God, hmm, did he deserve a warning? 20 years. And not only that, but this is like God. Like how many of you be like, you might be as a Christian, be like, man, I, God hasn't appeared to me in a dream and told me something. Why did Yahweh appear to this man who worships false gods and oppresses people and steals from people? He, why does God speak to him and warn him to turn from what he's about to do? Why not just strike him dead? Same thing, same thing, right? Then he, then he wouldn't say anything. And, and maybe we've walked with God for a long time. We're like, man, I, what's wrong with me that God doesn't appear, uh, appear to me and speak to me in a dream? Like, if, if all believers haven't had this experience, how, how is an unbeliever getting to have this experience with God. I mean, having a vision from God to change your ways. I mean, you think that would like do something and it doesn't, doesn't really change Laban's heart. But it's, I, I, I kind of feel like, does Laban deserve that? Does Laban deserve the warning? Why would God speak to an unbeliever? Why would God give vision to a man so horrible? But I'm finding that this happens quite often. This happens quite often, and it's happening right now. It's happening right now. Um, I've read books, and I've seen repeatedly that Jesus is appearing to people in dreams in the Middle East, in Iran, in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia, and these places where missionaries cannot go. Jesus is appearing to people in the Middle East. So there are stories. There's this woman, and she, and, and it kind of seems to grow, go the same way. Be like, Jesus, if you're real, I want to know. And she has this dream and she's walking with Jesus around a lake and she's like talking to him. And she's like, are you, you know, and she, are you real? I can't believe like, and he's saying how much he loves her. And she's like, this is crazy. And she's like, she's like, ah, I want to know more about you. I want to know more about you. And he's like, well, ask my friend. And she said she turned and there was a man behind them and she hadn't noticed him the whole time. But she, but she noticed him for the first time. And, and uh, so the next day, 
she goes to the market. She's walking around the market and she sees him in the market. And she's like, you! And this Christian guy who's like kind of undercover, you know, God, he said he felt like God would tell him to go to the market. And when like a Muslim was like, you, you're the one across, you're like, ah, time to go, run. But he, but he said because he felt God had led him there and because he, he had had the same dream, he turned around and she was like, you're his friend. And he's like, you're his friend. And they go off and talk and she asks a million questions about Jesus. I mean, and it's happening. It's not just happening with people like, it's happening with imams, which are like uh, preachers. Like there were like 12 um, people who were going to university to like study Islam. This is like the most prestigious place to go. And separately, they had all had visions of Jesus. And they actually end up kidnapping a Christian (laughs) in the night. And you know, the Christian's like, okay, Jesus, if this is my time. And then when they get him where they're going, they take his hood off and they're like, okay, you're that Christian, right? And that's like, you know, that's the time you got to be like, yes, yes, I am. You know, and they're like, good, because we want to know about this Jesus. We want to know about this Jesus. Tell us about this Jesus. And I think sometimes it's easy for us. Like, we like the story of the Muslim woman at the marketplace, because when we picture a Muslim woman, they're at Disney and they've got all that garb on and they just look so hot. And we're like, good for them. Good for them. They look hot. You know, I feel sorry for that little lady, you know, but... What about the Muslims that kill Christians? What about the ones that bomb civilians trying to get out of Afghanistan? Who kill U.S. soldiers who are no more than children? How do we feel about those? What if Jesus appeared to them? Because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the cute little lady. We're talking about the worst of the worst. We're talking about terrorists. We're talking about people who kill and kill awfully and are proud of it. What about them? What about them? Do they deserve to see Jesus? Do they deserve to be warned for for them to change their ways? Do they deserve it? And we might be like, it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder. We might be like, well, you know, my God's a God of justice. And we might see things a little bit differently. And this is is where it can get hard, right? Did they deserve the same mercy and grace? Did they deserve a warning from God? Did Laban deserve a warning from God to change his ways? And when I think of warnings... I think of Nineveh and the story of Jonah, where Jonah was sent to give a warning to Nineveh. Nineveh. He says, Jonah, go warn Nineveh that if they don't change their ways, I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah's like, ah, I kind of hate them. I I don't want to go warn Nineveh. We, sometimes we think that he's scared to do it, you know, because that's what we would think, like, go to a godless city and preach the gospel. That's terrifying. But that's not what's happening. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, a sinless, violent city. Like even Aristotle and Herodotus cataloged their sins. Even Aristotle's like, these guys are full of sin. Diodorus, you know him, right? The historian, not that guy. He says that Sardanapalus, who was a king, 
he, he, was, he exceeded all previous rulers in sloth and luxury, and he was a king in Assyria. He spent his whole life in self-indulgence. He dressed in women's clothes and wore makeup. He had many concubines, male and female. He wrote his epitaph, which stated that physical gratification is the only purpose of life. So like, they're just, and this is their king, so they're just like all in sin. But it was also deeply personal for Jonah because the Assyrians, when they come in, they burn cities to the ground. They torture captives. They carry off the children of the lands that they've conquered, which they did to Israel. To Jonah's people, they burned his cities, stole their children, tortured Israelites, civilians. And Jonah is like, no, no, no. They do not deserve a warning. They do not deserve a warning. If you're going to kill them, just kill them. They do not deserve a warning. Send me somewhere else, but deep in my memory, I remember what they did. I remember what they did, and I know who they are. And God, you might think that they could turn, but I'm telling you right now, they can't turn. They cannot turn. They're too far. They do not deserve a warning. I'm not going to go waste my time. Just do it. I'm not going to be a part, God, of what you want to do in Nineveh. I don't want to be a part of it. Get someone else because they do not deserve it. I don't know if you've been watching, but I saw with my eyes who they are and what they've done, and I'm not gonna play a part. I'm not gonna play a part. But then he goes, he does end up going, because that's how God works. God says, oh, I said go, you're gonna go, right? And now let's see, let's see, and this is why he did not want to go warn them. This is why in Jonah 3.10 through 4.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. When he saw they changed, he relented. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Isn't this what I said? Th that is what I tried to forestall. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live because I knew that you were gonna be compassionate. I knew that you were gonna show grace. I know you so well. I know that you're abounding in love. And I know that if I went, that they would listen and the miraculous would happen and you would relent and you would show them love and you would show them compassion. I knew you would do that. And God says, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city, maybe still hoping. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God had provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. I don't know why we don't go over this in children's church at the end of the Jonah story. 
But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Because Jonah's angry that the plant died. And God said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Again, he says. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. God says, you're concerned about this plant. You didn't tend it or grow it. And you are unhappy that it had such a short life. Think of me and the 120,000 people who don't know what they're doing and their livestock. Think of me. This is God. Even though Laban, Laban obeys, but it doesn't change his heart really. But he does obey because God stoops so low to warn those engrossed in their sin. He stoops so low to still show them grace and compassion and abounding love. Jonah says, I knew you would do that. I knew you would do that. That, I love that. That is so awesome that Jonah is like, I don't want to go because I know who you are. I know who you are. And I know that you're a compassionate God, abounding in love, who's who's slow to anger. I wish we knew God like that. I wish we knew God like that. I'd be like, I know you are God. You're You're a compassionate God who is slow to anger, who is abounding in love, who will relent because you're full of compassion. But Jonah's mad about it. I knew you would do that. I knew you would do that. And I didn't think those people deserved it. But God, maybe they didn't deserve it, but God did it anyway. Because that's who God is. Even, even in this story, even in these warnings, even we can see the compassion and the grace of God to those who didn't deserve it. And not only that, but he's going against his own people, the heart, us. He's going against the heart of Christians because his love is more abounding. Because his grace is more abounding. Because he is slower to anger than we can possibly contemplate. And what we need to do is we need to make sure our hearts are like his. That we're in the right place. That we're not like, I knew you would do that. I knew you would forgive that person that hurt me. That person has worked against me their entire life. The things that they have done. I knew that you would forgive them. I knew that you would change their life. We We have to step into a new place as Christians where we can be like, I knew you would do that. I knew you would do that, Lord, and I'm having problems with it. I'll admit, my heart has struggled with this, but that's who you are, and that's who you are, and that's who you've always been, and I'm so glad that you're like that. I will adjust. I will adjust, God. I don't want you to adjust to my heart. I will adjust to your heart, and if your heart is to forgive, if your heart is to restore, no matter what the sin, no matter where they're at, if your job, if your heart is to go after, if your heart is to show grace, if your heart is to abound in love, then so will mine. Then so will mine. And I'll be honest, I'm not abounding in love. I'm not slow to anger, but this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. Now, I'm not quick to anger. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying like we need to step into a place where we are more like him and how we see people lost in sin. And not just people lost in sin, but people lost in sin who are dead set against us, who have hurt us, who continually hurt us, who will not stop, 
who seem like they were sent by the devil himself to make our lives difficult for the Muslims that kill Christians and kill young soldiers. Where our hearts have to abound in love where what we want for them is an experience with God that will overcome their past. Because it's that love that got us, isn't it? Isn't it the first love, that first love? We're like, not me. It couldn't be me. I'm too awful. And let, let me tell you something. When he does come, when, when they do experience God, it's going to be in a way that the pain that they will experience, it will be real. They will not forget what they have done. They can't wipe it away. But even more so will they know how full the grace of God is. The deeper you are in sin, the deeper you experience the love of Jesus. And as Christians, we can't be like Jonah for anyone. For anyone. We can't sit there and say, Lord, not them. Have we forgotten the grace shown to us? Have we forgotten the abounding love? We sing about it. We are so happy God showed us abounding love. But do we do the same? Do we do the same? And I'm not saying revel with them in their sin and like cheer them on as they sin and being like, hey, if you can't beat them, join them. I'm not saying that. Sin is sin and we have to be against it. But we cannot leave our first love. We cannot forget the love that won our hearts. And if nothing else, I want everyone to know, leave this place. I want the, the words of Jonah to be on our lips. My God is abounding in love. And he is gracious and he is compassionate and he is slow to anger. And I will be also. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.